Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know anyone who has recently left the Christian faith? Maybe it's you. What do you do when you have a loved one that deconstructs or walks away from the faith? I know it's gonna sound weird coming from me, but many times the answer is not evidence. So what is the answer? Well, there was a woman who a number of years ago was brought up her entire life as a Christian, became a Christian singer, traveled the country, put out several albums, never doubted her faith until she was invited by her pastor to take a closer look at the Bible. And he began to try and deconstruct her faith and the faith of others in the classroom. She came right up to the edge of leaving Christianity, but then she had enough insight to do a little bit more research and she came back from that edge. And now she is an inspiration to thousands of people because she gives clear answers where ambiguity reigns. And if you know anything about ambiguity, it can breed anxiety. With so much noise on the internet right now, Christians are starting to feel anxious. Is my faith wrong? Have I believed something my whole life and it's not really true? What should I do? Who, should, who can I turn to? Well, one people, a lot of people are turning, one person a lot of people are turning to is my guest today, Elisa Childers, who came up to the edge of leaving Christianity and has now come all the way back and uh, is now, as I say, helping many people who have left the faith to re-engage with their faith. So let me bring Elisa on. Many of you already, of course, know Elisa. That's why you're watching. Uh, she does some great work. Elisa, how are you? Hey, Frank. I'm excited to have this uh, discussion on such an important topic. It is. Now, you and I were just together a few weeks ago. You and the great Natasha Crane, two great ladies, decided you were going to make a difference for Christianity in America and you decided to create a conference. Tell a little bit of people about that conference and uh, what what you try and do there. I, I, I'm just I'm along for the ride on this conference. I'm one of the three speakers, but 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 tell everyone this vision you had and 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 why you wanted to do it. Well, we're calling it the Unshaken Conference because we were noticing that a lot of people, especially uh, people who go to churches where it's non-denominational, so there's not really like strong positions on certain maybe ethical issues or social and cultural issues, that we started to notice a lot of Christians were very confused about some of these things. We noticed that other Christians maybe felt overwhelmed by the word apologetics and by mm -hmm. the idea that, you know, if you go to a conference like that, it's going to be way over your head 
said, and it's going to be all these intellectual arguments. And so we wanted to create a conference that would bypass that idea. Like we're not teaching these high level intellectual things, but we're actually going to be just helping you to live your Christian faith out in this increasingly chaotic culture and helping just the average Christian understand why things have gotten so different in the past few years and chaotic and uh, difficult for Christians to really live out their biblical values in this culture. And so we wanted to create this conference just to be an encouragement to Christians, to give them information, but also to be really practical with things they could take home and, and talk about and apply in their everyday lives. And so we just did our first uh, our first one in uh, the Cincinnati area. Actually, it was a little bit out. I thought it was Cincinnati. It's like 45 minutes from there mm -hmm. in Dayton. And it was just wonderful. It was so sweet. It kind of exceeded our expectations. And I think yeah. people left very encouraged. Our next one is going to be May 6th in Chino Hills at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills with uh, your good friend. And, and I'm looking forward to meeting him too, Jack Hibbs. Uh, and so we're very excited. Jack's going to participate in some of the panels and the Q&A. So it, it's going to be just wonderful for any Southern California people can go to unshakenconference.com and the tickets are already on sale for Chino Hills. and You can register right now. Yeah, and we want to make sure that you're unshaken in your faith. The problem is when people are shaken out of the faith, sometimes their first response is not to look for evidence. It's actually to look for allies who are going to say, yeah, I'm with you. I'm out. I don't want to be a part of Christianity anymore. And here's why. But Elisa, you've written a, a couple of great books. One is called Another Gospel. The newest one is called Live Your Truth and Other Lies. And you go through so many of the reasons, it seems, why many people today are deconstructing, walking away from the faith. What would you say are the top two or three uh, reasons that you see people are walking away from the Christian faith, Elisa? Well, one thing that I think Christians need to understand about the phenomenon of deconstruction is that people are defining it in a lot of different ways. And we can talk about that maybe after this question. But if we're talking about somebody who's basically walking away from the faith, very often people who deconstruct are leaving the evangelical Christianity that they grew up with. So that's that's largely what this phenomenon is, is hashtag ex-evangelicals. We've seen that hashtag. And so it, you know, it's not always a reaction against, say, the evangelical beliefs of the atonement or original sin, which often it can be, but it's a lot of times I'd say maybe the number one reason you see people deconstruct online is a reaction to the conservative political views of a lot of Christians and maybe what they perceived to be the marriage of politics and the gospel. And I'm not certainly not saying, you know, that that's true or false in, in different scenarios that can certainly happen at, at certain times. But um, the, the conservative support for Donald Trump, for example, is cited as one of the number one reasons that they they left the faith or left evangelicalism. So I'd say that's a really big one. Another really big one is is morality. It's basically sexuality. Uh, they've really seeking to find a way to reconcile e either having faith or their Christian faith with an affirmation of LGBTQ+. And so that's one another reason that they leave the evangelical churches because they perceive the beliefs on moral things like sexuality and marriage of evangelicals to be something that's really kind of toxic and traumatic to people. So uh, I would say if you want a top two, it's probably those two. So if you were to ask such a person, 
um, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Would the answer probably be no, Elisa? Because it doesn't appear from what you just said there, if those are the two reasons, political engagement and LGBTQ or sexual uh, moral issues, it doesn't appear that they're leaving the faith because suddenly they say, well, I don't think God exists anymore or the resurrection didn't occur or, or something like that. It, in other words, it doesn't appear they're leaving the faith because of a reason that would defeat Christianity. So would they, if you were to ask them if Christianity were true, would you come back? Would you become a Christian? Do you think they would say no in most cases? Well, I think that that question would just be really outside of the scope of what they really even care about. So mm. it would almost be an irrelevant question because, and this is something that Christians really need to understand about the phenomenon of deconstruction, is that in all of my research, what I have discovered is that it's really not a quest for truth. In fact, truth is often seen as one of those kind of clobber things you pull out to try to beat somebody over the head with this word truth. You know, you're so worried about truth and reason. That is so that true, Elisa. That is so <laughs> Oh, true. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so what I I really do think that this deconstruction that we're seeing is a very postmodern uh, type of thing. So if you go even back to the postmodern philosophers of the 60s, uh, we see this rejection of absolute truth. And so what people need to understand is that when people are deconstructing, they're not really asking questions like, are my theological beliefs correct? Is what I believe about God or about spirituality, does that correspond with reality? Those really aren't the questions they're asking. What it typically is, is, is a rejection of the idea that objective truth in the area of religion and morality could even be known by anyone. So if you don't think those things can be known, if you don't even think that question is you know, Christianity true? If you don't even think that question can be answered, then you're gonna be assessing your beliefs based on your own internal, internal moral compass, really. It's a very self-oriented evaluation, not of which theological beliefs you believe are true or false, but which ones you believe in your self-oriented way are either traumatic or toxic, oppressive or liberating, healthy or harmful. These are the types of words that you hear in the deconstruction conversation. And, and I would just say that we should read reject toxic beliefs. We should reject harmful and oppressive beliefs. But I don't think you can know what's actually harmful and oppressive and toxic unless you have truth at the center. You have to know it's true first in order to know what's toxic or harmful. I mean, if if you have a scenario in which somebody's laying on a table and somebody else is cutting them open with a knife, truth makes the difference as to whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, a helpful thing or a harmful thing. If you have a, a killer with a knife who's stabbing somebody, that's harmful, that's toxic. But if it's a surgeon with a scalpel who's operating uh, on the patient in a life-saving surgery, well, that's going to be a helpful and good thing to be doing. So truth really makes a difference, but that's the tough thing in the deconstruction conversation is that's not really in view uh, for, for most people. They'll use the word, it's interesting because you'll see deconstruction people say, I'm pursuing truth, but when they say truth, they don't mean capital T truth. They mean truth, like my truth, my reality, <laughs> you can't live your truth because it doesn't exist, right? That's, that's right. That's the, that's the okay. <laughs> but that is the language you'll hear. Uh -huh. That is what's going on. It used to be that people would ask, is Christianity true? Now they're asking, is Christianity good? In fact, I think what you just said there, Elisa, we could say that maybe today people look at religion or religious beliefs as more functional rather than true. In other words, Either this belief system, I don't care whether it's true or not. In fact, a lot of people say, I don't even, you can't even prove whether or not Christianity is true or any other world religion is true. Just does it work for you? In other words, it's functional. This works for me, so I'm going to believe it. 
as opposed to whether uh, it actually did occur that Jesus rose from the dead or that God exists or Jesus rose from the dead. People aren't concerned, it seems now, about truth. They're more concerned, is it good for me? Is it going to be helpful for me? Yes. And I think, um, you know, if you think about the way other religions work, that is generally what people think when they think about religion. It's like, let me find what works for me. Let me try these steps or the Buddhist eightfold path or something that's pragmatic that gives you peace in your mm -hmm. life and makes you mm -hmm. feel good. And, and the problem though, and this is what I try to share with audiences is that Christianity just doesn't work that way. Christianity is really the only religion that I can think of that makes exclusive claims about itself that are testable in reality and actually mm -hmm. says, if you can disprove this objective fact, you could take down Christianity. And that, of course, Paul famously in 1 Corinthians 15 said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain and you're still in your sin. So in other words, if you could prove that Jesus did not come out of the tomb and come alive again after he was dead, Paul says you could disprove the entire belief system of Christianity. And Frank, it's interesting too, in the deconstruction conversation, as I mentioned earlier, that it doesn't typically start with a rejection of, you know, old fashioned evangelical things like the Bible and original sin and the atonement and things like that. But often when people start to change their mind on things like sexuality or they, they what they perceive to be hypocrisy in the political views of the Christians in their lives, often what happens is it's a domino effect the doctrine of hell is going to go next. Uh, what they believe about the Bible is going to go next. Uh, original sin is out the door in deconstruction circles online in TikTok and Instagram. Uh, original sin is viewed as an abusive doctrine. So this, again, is not a quest for are my theological beliefs correct, but rather what do I think is helpful for me or harmful to me? Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to ask Elisa a question, uh, just go to crossexamine.org forward slash guest. You can see at the bottom of the screen here and uh, fill out the very short little form there. And we'll try and get you on camera live tonight. We're going to do that here shortly. It takes a little while to do, so you got to kind of have to do it in advance. We'll also take some questions from the chat. What should I do when a loved one deconstructs, when a loved one leaves the faith? We've sort of established here that in our experience anyway, many of the people who are leaving the faith are not leaving because evidentiary or there are evidentiary reasons to leave. It's more a personal dislike or they think something is immoral about Christianity. Of course, as Christian apologists, we're going to ask by what moral standard are you judging that? Uh, they're going to they're going to basically look for happiness rather than truth. They're not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest. And they're just going to believe whatever they think is going to make them happy. So the question is, how do you deal with that? Giving people evidence for people who aren't looking for evidence isn't going to work, at least not initially. So, uh, Elisa, I heard you say this before, and I want you to amplify it for our audience. Um, when someone has just left the faith, if they're part of a deconstruction mindset that thinks that evangelical believers are toxic and dangerous, there's an approach you're going to take that's not evidence. What approach are you going to, are you going to take? Yeah, and this is a this is a really tough question because each deconstruction is different. It's mm -hmm. based on different things. Almost every deconstruction story that I've read or watched online uh, begins with some kind of a wound. So there's maybe abuse or perceived abuse. There's, uh, like I said, witnessing what they perceive to be hypocrisy or real hypocrisy. So it can be very tough to discern why the person is in deconstruction or why that's happening. So I always tell families, Frank, it breaks my heart when I go speak about this 
at conferences, almost every time I speak somewhere, I have an older couple come up to me with tears in their eyes saying, mm -hmm. my adult child has deconstructed and they have cut us off. They won't let us see our grandkids. This is not something I've heard once or twice. And it's because the, the deconstructed person actually believes that just because their parents actually believe these things, it makes them dangerous to their children and to their well-being. And they're not a quote unquote safe person. So I think that um, it, it can be tough. I know there's a lot of people who love apologetics that are watching this right now. And this might be counterintuitive for the apologist, but my advice would be first, you know, do some some investigation, some diagnosis of what's actually going on and ask questions like, what's my relationship to this person? It's going to be different for you if it's your spouse versus if it's one of your children. It's going to be different for you maybe if you're a college kid and it's one of your best friends versus maybe I've had teenagers tell me their parents are deconstructing and how do we handle that? So all of the relational aspects are going to be different in each scenario. But generally speaking, especially if you're the parent or you're the grandparent, I always say this and it's counterintuitive, but it's really probably the most important thing right at the beginning to just maintain the relationship. Because here's the thing, when people deconstruct, they are not going to deconstruct in your church. They're probably not even going to tell you about it. They're not going to deconstruct openly. It's probably way down the road before you even find out about it. They've likely found a deconstruction community online that is affirming them and valuing them and telling them that they're, everything they're saying is, is kind of affirmed and uh, narratives are perpetuated. I think there's very much a social contagion aspect to it. So it's very likely that they've already decided that you're an unsafe person and even a toxic person. So my advice is it's probably very fragile. You might just have a very fragile window of opportunity to just stay in their life. And in that, in that time, in that space, if there's openness in the relationship, seek to understand, hear their story, ask, maybe ask things like, well, you know, what, what was the thing that made you start to change your mind? And really um, resist the urge to argue and even resist the urge and I'm going to say something that's heresy and apologetics right now, Frank, <laughs> resist the urge even to pull out your tactics. We all love our tactics. But in that first fragile phrase, phase, um, it's OK to back way off respect boundaries, live out the peace and, and beauty of the gospel in your own life and then pray for windows of opportunity where there might be an open door when then you can maybe come in with some maybe more pressing questions. But in the beginning, really seek to understand. And there could be, Frank, some legitimate trauma there that needs something more like counseling. And yeah. at that moment, it's like that's not the time to try to correct theology, but but just minister to the person and whatever they they are going through and um, and pray, pray, pray. When we started cross-examine 15 years ago, we said that 75% of young people were leaving the faith once they left the home. That's actually changed now. The reason I held up my phone earlier is because people are leaving the faith a lot earlier. They're not actually in the faith. You know, they don't actually know much about Christianity, but they can find a community. You can find a community that believes anything right on your phone. And if you want to not have the moral constraints of Christianity, or you don't like certain things about Christians or Christianity, it's very easy to find a bunch of advocates that will uh, convince you that what you're doing is right in walking away from Christianity and deconstructing. So it's, it's, it's with so much information at, the, at your fingertips right now, 
it's very easy to find people that will agree with anything you want to do. But let's go to some questions if we can, Elisa and Jorge. Let me know when you have somebody uh, on video. Yes, Frank, we'll, I actually... Yeah. I actually yeah. want to let everybody know on the other side to make sure that you go to crossexamine.org for slash guest and fill out that. Make sure that our questions related to the topic today about what should I do when a loved one deconstructs, right? Or related mm -hmm. to deconstruction. We have a few questions related to other things that have absolutely nothing to do with that. So we want yeah. to make sure that we give priority to those who are engaging with the topic. That's the idea. Please engage with the topic and we will bring you in live. Great. Um, we had a question in the chat earlier. I want to uh, amplify. I'm doing it from memory, Elisa, but someone was on there who said, what do I do when it's my husband who's deconstructed and he is uttering blasphemies at me every day? Yeah, I'll, I'll actually read this question. Okay. I just found it. It says, what to do when the person is your husband that almost daily badgers you with blasphemy? Should it be, Father, forgive him for he knows not what he does or as Jesus was with the money changers? Hmm. Um, and this is uh, from Kim. So Kim, um, first of all, uh, I am so sorry if this is you or if this is your situation. Um, this is possibly the most difficult type of relationship to be in when deconstruction is involved, and especially if the spouse is antagonistic like this. And so my advice to you would be that I think the most important thing for you is to build a strong community around yourself, uh, your local church, strong Christian friends who can and who can bear this with you, that can pray with you, that can commit to, to talking with you about this, because each scenario in which this is happening is probably going to be different. You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. And each situation, each time it happens, there might be a different response that will will, you know, protect you and also, um, you know, speak truth into what's happening. And uh, so I, I think my main I, I'm hesitant to give very specific advice because that's such a volatile situation. But I would really urge you to make sure your your local pastors and some strong Christian people are around you that know what's going on and that can advise you and counsel you and pray for you. Yeah, that's wise advice, Elise. It's very, very difficult, I think, in that situation. Um, and the, the question that she seemed to be uh, asking there in, that she said there seems to be two extremes, right? There's someone, uh, the one extreme is forgive him. He doesn't know what he does to the other knock this off i'm coming in with a whip and jacking you up right I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it might be that at some point she needs to do that if she's you know uh being disrespected right uh and then on the other hand there may be other times where she's just in prayer and doesn't say a word i i, I guess you, you have to judge the situation to see when that's going to happen i don't think she should be a doormat though and continually take disrespect for uh, her view, uh, if if he was a former Christian and now he's claiming that Christianity isn't right or false or bad or something, I would I would still ask him, hey, um, if you think Christianity is bad, uh, why are you treating me in such a poor way? Um, I mean, you seem to have gone from a, a, a belief system that at least says to love your neighbor to now someone who appears to be disrespecting not just your neighbor, but your wife. Why are you doing that to me? You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's the wrong approach, but it sure seems to me that that needs to be said at some point. Yeah, that's good. Um, Caleb asked a question. 
says this, Elisa, my wife's family members are going to church where a known pastor recently became gay affirming and they're starting to question things. How do I get them back to Orthodox Christian values? Yeah, I mean, this is very, very common right now. A lot of churches are flipping their view on this. And I I think that this is, again, you know, I, I mentioned tactics before. This is a perfect situation to get Greg Kokel's book, Tactics, and learn about the right questions you can ask. Because when you're in a conversation that could potentially be tense or it could be something that could be volatile, it's so wise to ask clarifying questions like, what do you mean by that? If, if these conversations are open and your friends uh, or your wife's family members are willing to have these conversations with you, just asking clarifying questions like, what do you mean by that? And then how did you come to that conclusion is a very important question to ask to help somebody to really it kind of presses on them to really articulate and think through why their views on something are changing. And I think that the the thing that might be um, I, I know your goal is to get them back to Orthodox Christian values. So that implies to me that they have you know slipped on that a little bit um but i think that just having those conversations this is something that's going to happen in relationship it's not going to happen over a coffee date it's going to be long term um, get tactics learn to ask the right questions and and pray that they will see the light and that they will see the truth on this but i mean sadly there are i mean there are great resources on this topic um but sadly there's a lot of anti like the opposite apologetic on these topics there are entire movements that are having conferences about how to convince conservative Christians to change their views on sexuality. So we all need to brush up on what the Bible says about those things so that we can articulate those things with grace and uh, with clarity, I think. And you know, uh, what Greg does say in his book, Tactics, and everyone should get that book, in addition to Live Your Truth and Other Lies by Lisa Childers, um, he says, when someone makes a claim, it is not your job to refute the claim. It's their job to support the claim. And what I think people don't understand about deconstruction, when they're deconstructing from their Christian faith, whether they know it or not, they're actually reconstructing another faith. That's right. The question is, what evidence do you have for that faith now? Let's just say it's the LGBTQ issue that, OK, um, Christians ought to uh, affirm uh, LGBTQ behavior, everyone ought to affirm it. Okay, that, that's your position. Now give me some evidence as to why you think that's the case. Why do you think that is a good value? By what moral standard are you saying that? Now notice we're not saying uh, that LGBTQ people ought not be treated with respect. We're not saying that. We're talking about the behavior itself. You're saying you ought to affirm that behavior. Okay, that everyone ought to agree with it. Why? By what moral standard? Uh, you're saying people have certain rights. By what moral standard? Now. Again, this you might not say this with somebody who uh, has just deconstructed, as as Elisa said earlier, that person may consider you toxic and not talk to you. But the question that just came from Caleb was, uh, how do I get my friends back to Orthodox Christian values because they're beginning to doubt Christianity? So what you want to say is, well, this new this pastor is now suddenly chucked two thousand years worth of uh, Christian teaching, and now he says the opposite is true. Well, why? Why? Why do you think that's right? Ask him for some evidence. Um, and uh, they're, they're reconstructing another view. The question is, does that view ha have any evidence for it? OK, Elisa, from your uh, YouTube channel. Uh, actually, this is from your Facebook page. Sasha asks, what is the best way to explain the deconstruction of family members to my children? How can I maintain a relationship with my 
deconstructed or deconstructing family members while protecting my young children. Mm. Well, like you, Sasha, you know, many of us are in very similar situations. And I think that I think it's so important for Christian parents to just be really open, first of all, with our kids about what's going on. Um, your kids should know what the word deconstruction is, what it means, how it's manifesting on social media, what the people are saying. I think it's so important to not just teach our kids the right things to believe, you know, what's true about reality and why we raise them in these particular Christian values, but we also need to introduce them to some bad arguments. I, my kids, we talk about progressive Christianity, we talk about deconstruction, and I think it's so important, Christian parents, to model that with a lot of um, grace, to model it with genuine sympathy for what people have been through, um, to show our kids that we genuinely love people that are confused and that are going through these things. But to be really honest, like this is a phenomenon. My kids know it. I, I say that I think that this is something that's really catching on via social media. There's a contagious element to it because echo chambers can be created. There are platforms out there, Frank, that are entirely devoted to making Christians look like the worst people in the world. They'll find everything they can find on the internet of somebody saying they're a Christian and then doing some horrible thing or saying some horrible thing and then, you know, post after post after post is only that. And they will say things like, this is the way Christians are. This is the way especially evangelical Christians are. So, mm -hmm. Sasha, what, what I do with my kids is in a very controlled environment. I'll show them one of those videos and then we'll discern through it. Maybe a video that's depicting the doctrine of original sin as abusive. I'll let my kids see it. And then I'll say, now let's talk about this. Ask your kids to think it through, compare it with what the Bible says, even compare it with reality, evidence in reality. And let's, let's reason through this. Let's have compassion for the person but let's let's not jump on bandwagons. Let's let's figure out what they're talking about and what we agree with and what we don't agree with. And you might even find a point of agreement uh, if there's a, a situation in which the doctrine of original sin was maybe taught incorrectly to that person and they don't understand it properly. That might be a good clarifying thing to to bring to your kid's mind. So I think just being really open, introducing these topics to our kids is really important. Now, when you bring in the uh, the idea that you have deconstructing family and family members, again this is kind of something that I'd want to ask a few more clarifying questions like is this person aggressively trying to tear your kids faith down because if that's the case you might want to put some protective barriers between you and that person maybe draw some boundaries have a discussion with them and express you know what you would you'd really appreciate if they wouldn't actively try to do that and then you may have to draw a boundary if you see that it's affecting your kids faith or your kids life however if the family member is uh is respectful of what you want around your kids and then I think that's fine too and I think it's fine to be open um, but you know you want to protect your kids you want to you want to expose them to these ideas but in a controlled environment where you can guide them through it and um, and again just with the family member it's just going to depend on on that individual situation I think <coughs> excuse me I love what the historian John Dixon says who wrote the book <coughs> uh, bullies and saints he says this, when someone plays Beethoven poorly, who do you blame? You don't blame Beethoven, okay? You blame the player. So when someone plays Jesus poorly, you don't blame Jesus. Look, just because a Christian is not true and beautiful doesn't mean Jesus isn't true and beautiful. And I know this may be a newsflash for many people, 
But Christianity is not Christians. Christianity is Jesus. So we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And if we were perfect, we wouldn't even need a savior. So you're going to find people in Christianity who are broken sinners. They're going to wrong you sometimes. They're going to be people you might not like. But that doesn't tell you whether or not Christianity is true. The evidence will tell you whether Christianity is true. So don't throw away Christians, or I should say, don't throw away Christianity because you don't like Christians. Christi Christianity is not Christians. Christianity is Jesus. I know we have uh, a video caller coming on, if I'm not mistaken. Jorge. Yes, sir. We, we got Chris here with a question, and we're going to welcome him to the show. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. I've been a Absolutely. huge fan of Lisa Shoulders for three years now. Thank you so much. I've been a fan longer, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have been. <laughs> I got here late. Go ahead, Chris. My my question, uh, I, I have a deconstructed friend. Uh, he claims to be um, deconstructed. He uh, We often talk about it. Uh, actually, the last time he came down, we spoke for about seven hours through the night into the morning. It was actually really good. Um, he, he kept giving me the, the runaround about um, things. I, I think we agreed on, on our majors. I, I pastor a church and, and I hope that my majors are correct, right? Jesus is uh, deity, right? Jesus is deity. He doesn't deny. Uh, he doesn't deny that he's the one who saves. But I ask, well, what does he save you from? And it, it, I, I always get the runaround. Is my friend lying to me? Does is he being deceptive? I, I don't know. Well, let me ask you a couple extra questions here. Does your friend claim to be a Christian still? Yes. And and they said they've been through deconstruction. Yes. And so, um, does this person believe that humans are sinners? Yes. Okay. Does he believe that sin separates them from God? I'm, I'm not sure. Actually. It's a question to ask because um, sometimes this, I, I don't know, you know, each, like I said, each deconstruction is different. And one thing I probably should have mentioned earlier is that many people use the word deconstruction to mean very diff different things. So if somebody came to me and said, hey, I deconstructed, I'm still a Christian, then my first question would be, well, what does, what did, what does that mean, deconstruction? When you say you deconstructed, how are you using that word? Because somebody might just mean, oh, well, I changed my mind on my eschatology. I studied the Bible and I realized that the eschatology of the church I grew up in, I think is not biblical. So I went from, you know, such and such mill to such and such mill or something like that. Um, it could even be something that simple or, uh, but typically what I find is that it's, it's much more postmodern than that. So let me ask you this, does your friend express any changes of mind on moral issues like sexuality or abortion, something like that? Uh, yes. Um... I, I, actually, I'm, I'm, we, we didn't hit on abortion. I, I, in those seven hour conversations, I tried to hold the bigger stuff till later. And so uh, I, I wanted to hit on abortion. I wanted to hit on, on other things. Maybe racism was a big topic we were discussing. Um, and so I, I was trying to. Sexuality to get a topic at all? Sexuality? Has he changed his mind on sexuality? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I don't think he has a problem with. Um, I, I believe he's living with his girlfriend. 
I didn't quite confront him yet on that. Again, I was trying to take it slow. Maybe so now I was just too slow. <laughs> yeah, no, this is good. So if it were me, here's what I would do. I would sort of, if your friend's open to talking, which is great, sounds like he is, if you talk for seven hours through the night, that's wonderful. I would start asking just very basic gospel questions, walk through just basic theology of, like I said, you know, our human center does sin separate humans from God. And if that's the case, how does that get fixed? And, you know, I would move to atonement, ask him if he believes Jesus died on the cross for his sins in a substitutionary sense. In other words, to provide reconciliation to God who your sin separated you from. Ask about the physical resurrection of Jesus. Ask about Jesus' second coming and about, uh, you know, heaven and hell. I'm going to take a guess that if I'm going to take a guess here and say that if your friend is living with his girlfriend, there's a really good chance he has a moral reason to want to change his theology, which is very often what we find in this in this movement. So, um, you know, if you just want to get right down to it, down to brass tacks, you might just ask, you know, hey, I noticed you're living with your girlfriend. Do you think that the Bible is okay with that? Do you do you, do you believe that God approves of that? And what's your you know biblical case for that? And that you might get to the heart of the matter more quickly that way. I would guess. Uh, I, I I would think so. And you brought up you brought up hell. I know that that was pretty much the bulk of our conversation. Okay. Um, him, me asking what hell is, uh, and I know you mentioned uh, substitutionary atonement. That's um, uh, kind of where where I fall under. Right? It's it's not as if hell is some imaginary place. It's essentially God's wrath, uh, and he rejected that totally. Mm. Um, uh, my, my, my main question was really, uh, is he being dishonest with me? I, I don't know, I kind of feel attacked. Should I not feel attacked in, in my thinking? Is If he's being dishonest, does he know he's trying to play mind games? <laughs> well, is, when you say he's being dishonest, what specifically do you think he's not being forthright about? I, I guess maybe it's just the conversations we have. So I'll I'll ask about hell and he will respond with maybe morality. He doesn't want to necessarily talk about that. And so we'll get on a rabbit trail. I have to kind of come back. It almost does seem as if he doesn't want to talk about the the majors, really. You know, Chris, he it does he doesn't appear to be the sort of person we've been talking about tonight that okay. runs through quite a bit, you know, that thinks you're toxic. He obviously wants to talk to you. Uh, so in that yeah, case, that is rare, Frank, that that, the mm -hmm. person, that he would actually want to talk to you. But mm -hmm. I would bet, though, this does sound very, very similar to a lot of the uh, you know, what what's happening. Like, I, I would bet you that those words will start to come up in, in conversation. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Frank. No, no, what what what, what words are going to come up? What do you, what do you mean? Well, toxic and, and I, oh. he, you know, I think maybe this belief is harmful. or And that's probably why he doesn't want to discuss hell, because he probably, in his mind, has decided, even about morality, that what the Bible teaches about sexuality is bad. It's not going to work for him. It's not obviously, you know, something that he thinks is life-giving for him because he's chosen to live otherwise. The doctrine of hell is probably hard for him to talk about because there's something he doesn't like about it and he doesn't want to face it and confront it. So even if he doesn't realize it, he may be kind of giving into these categories of not really pursuing what's actually true and saying, you know, I want to believe what's true whether I agree, you know, whether I want to believe it or not. And that actually might be a good question. Frank's original question to him is if if Christianity, if, you know, Orthodox Christianity is true with its morality, would you change your views? And that might be an interesting way to get to the bottom of where he's really coming from with how his methodology of assessing some of these claims. 
Have you ever asked that question, Chris? If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Or if Jesus rose from the dead to prove he was God, would you follow him? Have you ever asked him that? Uh, I could, I could certainly um, ask him. I'm, I'm having a little hard time hearing. I think you guys are oh, okay. cutting up. All right. Sorry. Well, we appreciate your call, man, or your 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 video call. <laughs> so uh, it started asking questions like that because he seems like as he's at least wanting to have a conversation. So that's a good thing. Uh, too, too often, many of the people that walk away don't even want to have the conversation. They they demand that you change your views without any without any conversation, <laughs> without any argue argumentation. They just want to say you're wrong and you need to see it my way. It's almost like the cancel culture, you know, just shut up and, and agree with me now. It'll save a lot of time. Right. So, yeah. well, and, and he is he is learned. He does know a lot of scripture. He, I, I believe he went to seminary. And mm-hmm. so um, uh, and, and so it does make it a little bit tough when, uh, frankly, uh, even though I, I preach, I, I think he may know a little more about Old Testament. And um, I, he, he's been going on a lot of rabbinical teachings. And so I may into it. Maybe another question you can ask is how much reading have you done on these topics that bother you? I mean, have you read a book on the issue of hell, if that's an issue for you? Have you read a book on the LGBTQ issue from a conservative Christian perspective? Have you read a book on uh, the evidence for the resurrection or the atonement or I mean, are you really searching for truth? Because I found that most people are looking for truth like a criminal is looking for a cop. Right. They want to do their own thing and they're just trying to find a way to justify what they're doing morally. That's that's what I've seen. Look, I can see it in myself a lot, too. Right. I I want to suppress the truth because I want to go over here when God says go over there. Right. Oh, that truth's inconvenient. I, I don't want that. So we all have to fight that in ourselves. And the question is, is he fighting that or is he is he just looking for ways to rationalize what he wants to do morally? Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's definitely something I could dig into for sure. All right. Thanks for your thanks for and thanks for being a pastor too. God bless you. All Uh, right. Yeah, it's really tough, actually. It is. It's a hard. It's the second hardest job in American Christianity. The hardest job is pastor's wife. So (laughs) I don't disagree. (laughs) Where are you, by the way, Chris? What's your church? Uh, Remnant Church in El Centro. We're a little humble church. I'm a co-pastor with two El other Central pastors. California? Yep. Oh, that's where I went to Sears School. That's where I went to survival and prisoner war school, El Centro, out there, Warner Springs. You know where that is, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. we had that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, out there. Uh, that's that's 35 years ago in the Navy, which stands for never again volunteer yourself. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Chris. We got we to gotta get to, we, we gotta get to some other callers. So thank you so much. Frank, I love you. Lisa, I've been a huge fan for a while. See you guys. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Thanks for being a pastor. That's such a hard job. You know, being a pastor is just that everyone expects you to know everything and to do everything well. And nobody knows everything or does everything well. Um, I could have done it when I was 17 because I knew everything when I was 17. But (laughs) not anymore, Lisa. Somehow I've I've lost a lot of wisdom. (laughs) That's right. All right. So we have some other folks. Uh, Jorge, you want to come on? We got about three in line, so take a couple of questions from the chat, and they will be in in just a second. Okay, great. Alisa, do you see anyone in the chat you want to? Uh, yeah, wow. there's one that Go was ahead. up cross-examined uh, uh-huh. 
why what's oh youtube okay yeah why please youtube uh, it says this i think this is an interesting question my brother is deconstructing and it seems to be evidence-based for the past few years he has read philosophical and theological papers and books he's fine emotionally no hurt so how do I tackle this? So this this is from Billy. Billy, um, there could be a couple of different things going on. So one of the things I've observed in the deconstruction phenomenon is a lot of Christians are under the impression that people who deconstruct don't know their Bibles or they haven't studied theology. Um, it's it, it, certainly that can be the case sometimes, but very often it's people who you know they'll go to a liberal seminary and the arguments they learn kind of twist them up in knots intellectually. So it could be that. Uh, that some of that is going on and maybe it is an intellectual problem for him. And in that case, I might recommend asking if he's engaged with the work of somebody like a William Lane Craig, or if he's engaged with, uh, you know, some of some of the more some of the scholarship that's available. There's some really, really, really great scholarship out there that uh, is coming from a biblical worldview and just maybe see if he's engaged with some of that to get the other perspective. The other thing that could be going on uh, if there's no wound there, there's no been no abuse it's not like there's an emotional problem there could be a moral problem so one thing i might ask is kind of as we advised our last uh, caller is you know is there a moral issue that he has already kind of changed his mind on and then he's trying to make the intellectual bits fit with that or is there a moral problem he has with christian values where he's he's wanting christianity to not be true so he's looking for intellectual reasons that can happen where someone is seeking intellectual justification for the unbelief that they've already been fostering and it has grown in their heart so it could be you know a couple of different things going on so again i would just ask a lot of questions seek to understand don't be afraid if you don't know the answer to something that's okay just engage the conversation and don't be afraid to say wow i've never really thought about that before i'm going to need some time with that you know take a couple weeks read up on the topic yourself that is the, maybe the issue that was brought up and come back around and have another conversation about it it's okay to not know everything you don't have to be a scholar just be curious and be willing to learn and go on a journey with somebody if they're willing to go on it with you. Uh, Elisa, someone from your Facebook page asked this, what advice do you have talking to somebody who is going down the path of deconstruction without calling it that? They don't even realize they are deconstructing. And she, uh, Brian says, specifically talking to counselors who support deconstruction, and my relative is starting to dismiss portions of scripture to support the live your truth mentality. Comments like scripture has been twisted by the church, or that's the spiritual abuse, if you believe that. Anyway, uh, uh, basically the bottom line is, the church is starting to support the live your truth. Uh, the, gee, I have a book that people should get. Maybe you could do that. You get that book. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what do you do? Yeah. It's very common in the counseling, mm -hmm. like in the counseling mm -hmm. area, uh, deconstruction. And if you go on, and I've, I certainly don't want to paint everything with a broad brush. I'm sure that there are some really good counselors out there that could walk people uh, through something like this. But most of the deconstruction coaching that you find online, much of the deconstruction therapy sites that you're going to find are very, very pro deconstruction. So you can tell from the books that they're recommending, they want you 
to leave the toxic beliefs that you have, you know, been taught and they'll, you know, and, and the first thing to go in a lot of cases is the Bible. Uh, I don't know just about anybody in the deconstruction space online and the hashtag and the evangelical hashtag that would tell you that the Bible is authoritative for truth. In fact, if you if you go into the deconstruction hashtag space and say, hey, I deconstructed and I rebuilt my beliefs and I believe the Bible is God's word, you're going to get laughed off of the platform. They will tell you, go back to the beginning. You didn't do the work. You didn't really deconstruct. And so a lot of this. Wait, 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 stop. You just said something there I got to ask you about. I thought he was supposed to live his truth. What if his truth is, is that the Bible is true? He can't live that truth? Well, in the deconstruction space, because it's so focused on toxic and what they perceive to be abusive, they are very, very intolerant of beliefs that have collectively been decided to be toxic and harmful. So, oh, so, oh, so this has nothing to do with really live your truth, because if your truth is that the Bible's true, you can't live that truth. Is that basically the you could say if if you work to be accepted as far as i can tell in the in the research that i've done if you wanted to be accepted in the deconstruction space and in the hashtag and all that you could probably say you believe the bible is true but you wouldn't be able to say that you interpret it to mean that marriage is between one man and one woman or something along those lines it would hmm. it, it would be uh that that wouldn't be tolerated in the name of inclusion tolerance and diversity you will not be tolerated you will be excluded for holding a diverse view Okay. I've been told many times online, you know, that that my views are harmful, that I'm not a safe person. I, I was having a dialogue that I thought was a pleasant conversation with uh, somebody on Instagram. And I was told, you're asking too many questions. This doesn't feel safe anymore. And so it's it's very much um, a closed system, I found. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, I certainly don't mean to speak for everybody on that platform. I When I was researching for my deconstruction book, which is coming out next, I actually met via Zoom online with a, a few people that have big platforms in the deconstruction space, and I found them to be very lovely people. And they were wonderful to talk to and very, very kind and shared about what they were going through. Um, so I certainly don't mean to say that everybody's like that. I think the one-on-one -on -one thing goes way better than the collective kind of hysteria on mm. social media. I think that's mm. totally like a completely different animal. When you're face-to-face, -face, it's just different. I have a question here from the Cross-Examine YouTube channel. Matthew asked, should I be dating if I am deeply questioning my faith while pursuing a biblical scholarship at school? I think I know the answer, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. <laughs> Mom? Well, <laughs> Matthew, if you were my son, you know, I, I don't know you. So it's hard. It's hard. Sometimes it's really hard yeah. to answer questions like these because there can be so many different variables and factors. Um, I think, you know, Matthew, my advice to you is, you know, maybe hold off on that area of your life while you figure out what you believe. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm curious, you know, what the nature of your questions are. I'd have so many follow-up questions for you. Um, I think it might be wise to press the pause button on that part of your life while you figure out um, what you believe. Because one thing I have seen in the deconstruction space is that when it's one spouse and not the other, it's it's um, just the pain, the absolute torment is unbelievable when uh, spouses are not aligned on these types of things. And so my advice would be to, to avoid dating probably till you figure this out. Um, but I don't know, what do you think, Frank? Yeah, in fact, there's another question here. 
that uh, comes from Morris. It's a related question. Uh, my son was raised as a Christian. He married a person who convinced him that his beliefs were wrong and is now raising their son with no belief in God. How do I handle it? So look, if, if you're questioning who you really are as a person in terms of your belief system, um, it might be better to figure out what you really believe before you try and bring someone else into your orbit and the question that Morris asks here, Elisa, is one of the reasons I think that Paul says only marry somebody in the Lord, because there's nothing more difficult. As we've already seen in the first question we, we handled later, when you have different worldviews, particularly about God. And now then when you bring a person, another person into it, a, a child, uh, how do you deal with that? Uh, so this Morris person uh, seems to be the grandfather of this child. How can he, what can he do with his grandson now? Mm. Yeah, so it says, my son was raised a Christian. He married a person who's, who has convinced him that his beliefs were wrong and now is raising their son with no belief in God. So um, this this is something, actually, I think this represents a broad amount of people. I have a very close friend who's walking a very similar situation. And um, actually, there's another question from my Facebook that I'll read because it's very similar and it's sort mm -hmm. of tackling the same thing. So this is from Joshua on my Facebook. It says, my ex-wife turned her back on Christianity and biblical values and then ended our marriage two years ago with her leaving so that she could be a free feminist and affirm all of the alternative lifestyles. Our two boys, now 18 and 20, sided with her, but we still have a relationship, but fairly broken. How can I talk to them? about holding on to their faith and not follow their mother's destructive path while not speaking against her. And first of all, Joshua and Morris, I just want to commend your uh, motivation to not disrespect their, you know, the, the one spouse that's not believing that you want to teach them to honor their parents and love and love their parents, but you can't compromise truth either. And I know that can lead to a fragile relationship. So Joshua, my advice for you would be kind of what I said at the beginning, you might, you know, maybe with your kids, live the beauty of the gospel in front of them, let them see the peace of Jesus in your life. Because I can tell you from all the research I've done in that hashtag and in that world, there's no peace to be offered in that in the deconstruction space. There's no um, true, real freedom. When we're Christians, we become free from the bondage of sin, not free to go do whatever we want. If that's the kind of freedom it was, that would be bondage. But mm. model that freedom before them. And um, with the kids, I would not hesitate to, you know, if the, Joshua, your kids are a little older, so there you might be more in that category of fragile window of opportunity to stay in their life, love them, maybe seek some understanding, ask them questions if they're willing to talk to you. Um, and then for Morris, who I, it sounds like the kids are a little bit younger, um, I, I would just say, do what you can to preach the gospel to your grandkid. You know, it's it's okay to do that. And, um, and, and again, with all of this advice, I would advise everybody with these very specific situations that are potentially so volatile and based on so many different types of backstories, get some really strong spiritual support around you. Uh, let your pastors know what's going on. Have people around you that can be praying for you, that can be advising you and counseling you because these kinds of things are, again, so volatile and fragile. And so um, it's gonna take a lot of wisdom, but the Bible says that he will give you wisdom if you ask for it. So pray for wisdom, get a lot of good counsel around you and strong spiritual support to help walk you through these kinds of situations. Yeah, there are, I always tell people whenever I ask, uh, all right, I ask people to ask their non-Christian friends and relatives, if Christianity were true, you become a Christian. If the person says no, 
There's four things that I think you can do immediately. Number one, you can pray, obviously. Number two, you can plant seeds when it's appropriate. Just plant seeds. Uh, as Greg Kokel would say, you're a gardener. You're not trying to harvest all the time. Uh, third, uh, you want to love them, which does not mean you approve of everything they do. Love doesn't mean approval. You have to stand in the way of bad things that people want to do. That's what a loving person does. And then number four, wait. Why? Because tragedy normally strikes all of us at some point. If the person is ever again going to be open, it's going to be when tragedy strikes. And when tragedy strikes, they're not going to call their atheist deconverted friends because their atheist deconverted friends don't have any kind of uh, worldview that that gives them any hope. What's going to happen if they are open or become open because of the difficulty, your phone is going to ring and that person's going to be on the other end. When the student's ready, the teacher will appear. So pray, plant seeds, love them, and then wait. All right, let's bring on Josh and Gerilyn. Uh, on the video here. Uh, Josh and Gerilyn uh, have a, a son that was a Christian, but deconverted. Josh and Gerilyn can, uh, how are you? Where are you? Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. My son and daughter-in-law live in Enid, just north of you. Yep. In the Air Force. But go ahead. Your question or question for Lisa? Well, I was hoping my wife would be on here too, but our okay. son who we're asking questions about just wandered into the room. Okay. All right. So, um, the way you describe deconstruction, Elisa, it's you're describing our son exactly. Um, a heart issue, and then he spent a lot of time alone deciding that things were not right, and then came to us and then questioned the Bible, and the dominoes have fallen, just like you've said. But he continues to come to us with questions, and we've been trying to maintain the relationship, but what he talks to us about what he when he brings us questions he tries to tell us what we believe and accuses us of being hyper legalistic and accuses us of uh, christianity being only a series of check boxes for us mm -hmm. and this is the opposite of what we taught him growing up i even went so far as to go to some of our old pastors and teachers and ask did did something happen behind the scenes that we didn't know about and it seems like he's been brainwashed, almost like we need to extract him from a cult. Do we just maintain the relationship or do I get more active because he is still coming to us with stuff? How old is he? 23. And okay. this, just for a little more context, this deconstruction happened about three or four months after he got married and his wife is just distraught. Wow. Yeah, because I, I was going to say if he's if he was underage and still living in your home, I would I would do something radical like remove all social media, phone and all that. Obviously, you can't do that at 23, probably. So um, I think you're absolutely right there. And I, again, I want to be very careful the way I word this, because I've said it before and I'll say it again. Every deconstruction is different. That's part of that's one of the hallmarks of deconstructions, how different they can be. Uh, and But I've seen this phenomenon over and over. What you're describing to me, I hear all the time. There can be two people grow up even in the same 
church, but even in the same home and have two completely different ideas of what happened in the churches and what they were taught and what they caught from the teachings. And, and I have this in my life where there are people, we, we grew up in the same, uh, not so much in the same home, but in the same church. And you'll hear the way they describe what they were taught. I'm thinking, when did they ever say that? Like what? So there is, I truly do believe that brainwashing is not an, a, an exaggerated word to use in certain cases. I I'm certainly am not going to try to brush everybody with that. But especially when you have the social contagion aspect of it with the online communities that are continually perpetuating a narrative that is just not true of most Christians that I know. Um, it can it can truly be like a brainwashing and in some cases can be very cultish, I think, in the way that people um, are are just, it gets their hooks in them like that. And so that's a, the how question on that is so difficult because it's just gonna so depend on your, your relationship and the person, the fact that he's willing to talk with you is amazing. And I think that maybe asking him you know clarifying questions and then i don't know frank do you have some advice on when they're when the when the son is saying you know here's what you believe and it's not actually what you believe like what would be your because frank's so good at the the interaction aspect of this thing yeah i would ask him why he believes that i believe those things why do you why do you think that's the case and uh I would also point out that I may have some misconceptions about what he believes, you know, <laughs> I, it might be my perception that you don't believe in the atonement, but actually you do or whatever, whatever the issue is. Uh, it's sort of like when people say, well, you can't believe those Baptists or those Catholics or those Mormons or those or those Muslims as if all those people in those worldviews believe exactly the same thing when they don't. Right. Uh, in fact, George Barna has famously shown that maybe only about uh, eight or nine percent of people who claim to be evangelical Christians actually have a Christian worldview. So it, it, every person is different in this regard. And uh, that's why you I think you have to ask a lot of questions. Um, I, I, I recall our friend uh, Sean McDowell. I don't know if you know who he is. Um, Josh, same name. <laughs> uh, his father, Josh. Um, of course, a great apologist. I came to faith by reading his books. Well, Sean one day came to uh, Josh and said, Dad, I'm, I don't know if I believe what you believe. And of course, many parents might freak out. But Josh said, that's great, son, because you can't have my faith. I can't have your faith. You're going to have to come to your own conclusions. But will you promise me one thing? Sean said, well, of course, Dad. He said, investigate the evidence and follow the evidence where it leads. Not where you want it to go, but follow it where it leads. If you do that, you're gonna wind up a Christian. And now Sean's a PhD and a Christian. So it might be that you go to your son and say, hey, you know, I, I, I don't know everything and I don't know anyone who does, but there's so many resources out there that we could investigate. Can we investigate this together? Let's go on a journey together. Maybe there's some things I do believe that I shouldn't, right? So it, 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 it be, be open to investigating with him. If he's open, he might not be open. I don't, I don't know. Does, does he claim to, what, what kind of belief system does he ascribe to? Does he label himself anything? It's been very hard to pin down. Um, it's, a, it's a very squishy, 
amalgam of Paul's teachings and ignoring what Jesus says, and he'll read entire passages of Romans 7, 8, and 9 and claim that this says that you can do whatever you want. It's, I have a hard time. Well, go back to Romans 6, because he says exactly the opposite in Romans 6. That's, <laughs> and that, that's my problem, is that he, yeah. he's, he's twisting those uh -huh. words, and, and it feels like he's being fed um, a script on how to twist these words mm. to mean what it's the opposite of what it means. You're being fed a script. You do need to know that. He is absolutely being fed a script. It, there are videos and just a, there are videos I watch on TikTok that have millions of views. And these aren't even famous people. These are just people repeating the script. So I think you're right. I think you're on to what's actually going on. And that's half the battle is the diagnosis. It sounds like you've done a really good job mm -hmm. with the diagnosis. One, one approach you might take, and I'm just thinking about this, if it were my child, is I might just say, okay, let's, if he's willing to talk to you, that is so amazing. I mean, you are just 10 steps ahead. That is so great. Just say, all right, let's, let's do this. Why don't you tell me Let's take one thing at a time. Give me maybe the main thing or the first thing that you, you know, you're saying you were taught by us that you have rejected. Let's start there. What's the belief that you you are doubting before we even get to your new belief or what you've changed? Like, what is the belief you're doubting? And then maybe walk, if it's maybe it's original sin or something. And you say, okay, let's, let's, why don't you express to me your understanding of what I believed the original sin to be? And have them express it and just say, okay, there, I have a lot of points of agreement with you and this, this, and this. But here's where I, I just, if you'll let me speak for myself, this is this is not what I, I actually don't believe that, you know, whatever that might be. And just kind of maybe take it apart little by little. And then maybe you can get to his new belief. And But it sounds like it's just such a mishmash of him misconstruing what you believe and then rejecting that. But he's not really letting you say what you really believe or he's not believing you. So it might just be like little bite-sized pieces, a little bit at a time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a tough situation, but I just, I do hope you know you're not alone. There are so many people that are in your position and um, I meet them regularly. And I just want you to know you're not alone. And I truly believe that we're gonna see a lot of these deconstructed people come to true faith in Christ. And I mean, that would be a great revival, wouldn't it? To see all of these people that have walked away from all this stuff, where they hear the real gospel and maybe understand it for the first time and respond in repentance. And I, I do, I mean, God is capable of that. And so that's my prayer. And God knows the end from the beginning, and this isn't the end. And you're not alone. I mean, there's just so many people in the same position. One of the things he tells me when we talk about this is that I, I'll say it, it sounds like you're coming at this from a, uh, a, uh, uh, very relativistic point of view. And he says, no, it's not relativistic. It's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Relativism is a part of what worldview? Postmodern? Yes. He says, no, it's not relativistic. It's postmodern. Same thing. I don't, I don't, well, he's, you know, he says, no, I don't believe everybody has their own truth, but everybody has their own story and every, and everybody comes at it with their own biases and narratives. Mm -hmm. And is that a bias? Well, yeah, and that's okay. That's, that's, See, kind of, that's the circular conversation. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, I get that. The problem is, is that the people that are feeding him scripts, as Elisa say, they don't 
they have a story that they think is true and they're feeding it to them right, right? <laughs> and they're you know it's they have body. definite viewpoints they're not saying oh postmodern i can't know the truth i can't know the meta narrative they think they know the meta narrative but it's not christianity okay yeah. so it's 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 a self-defeating position i i don't understand why people buy into this stuff because they're it's self-defeating, but they don't care. Yeah, they don't well, care. Right. It's defeating. So I think that what what you might do in that case is say, okay, I agree with you. We all have biases. Here's what I think my biases are, and then tell them what you think yours are. I know, I know that I have a bias toward Christianity. This is me, Elisa, talking. I want Christianity to be true. I think it's beautiful. I think the gospel is beautiful. I think who Jesus was is beautiful. I have a bias that I want it to be true. I'll acknowledge that. What do you think your biases are? And let him tell you what he thinks his are. And then maybe say, okay, would you be willing for us to acknowledge that we both have biases, but let's try as best we can to put them aside and I'll try, even though my bias is toward Christianity, I think it's beautiful, I want it to be true. Let me try to put this aside and to the best of my ability, investigate what's actually true in reality and believe what's true, whether I want it to be true or not, with the acknowledgement of my bias, would you be willing to do the same thing? And that might be a fruitful, door to walk through if, you know, if possible. But you do hear this a lot that a lot of, um, now not everybody in deconstruction thinks they're postmodern, but many will say this is where, yeah, postmodernism is a correction. In fact, that's when the whole decolonization conversation comes in because decolonization doesn't mean just getting rid of unbiblical cultural aspects of your Christianity. Uh, decolonization means getting rid of doctrines like original sin and the doctrine of hell because those were just invented by the church to control people with fear you got to decolonize that and and so it's very very postmodern it is very relativistic whether they realize it or not and um it, and that's where this whole oppressive or liberating helpful or harmful narrative comes in because of that decolonization aspects very 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 postmodern so maybe just acknowledge yeah i do have biases we all do let's both acknowledge them do our best to put them aside and investigate what is true or what we can know that's true. I, well, I don't Lisa, know. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Josh, we got to move on. We had a couple other callers, but is there a place that people can go online other than the website, elisachilders.com? Is there a forum uh, where people can go to uh, parents, say, of kids that have deconverted? Is there a place people can go to like talk to one another about this? I'm sure there are. I would check out the Center for Biblical Unity. They have several different Facebook groups. I know they have one for um, for different types of parents that are going through things with their kids. I would check that out. I don't personally run anything like that, but there has got to be some some good resources like that online. And if not, we need to start one. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, Josh. And Thank you. At least at a minimum, remember those four things, pray, plant seeds, love them and wait. But it sounds like your son is somebody that's at least open to talking. So maybe you can go through a book with him, go through mere Christianity, go through, uh, you know, go through some kind of book that that that'll deal with the issues that that he thinks are problematic. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank Thanks you. so much. All right. Do you have someone uh, from the list there, Elisa, you want to? choose yeah. the question let's see um okay this is from carrie ann it looks like on my facebook mm -hmm. teenager who doesn't want to offend any friends at school by excluding their beliefs so accepts all pathways to heaven if heaven exists in other words lack of spiritual maturity so basically wants to believe always lead to god and all gods are the same there's no hell because a good god would never send someone he loves there so i mean carrie ann <laughs> what we're talking about at this point is someone who hasn't 
trusted in Jesus for salvation. This is somebody that um, I don't I don't think I would call this a lack of spiritual maturity. This sounds like someone who hasn't committed their life to Christ yet. It sounds like somebody this is more of an evangelism type of opportunity mm. where um, if this I don't know if this is your child or if this is another teenager you're talking about. But this would be this is when you share the gospel, right? Because this person mm -hmm. Doesn't understand the gospel or or know what it is. So I think it's more in that category than trying to help with spiritual growth. I, I think this is a gospel issue. All right, very good. Can you hear us, Josiah? Okay, unmute yourself, brother. Evening, Frank. Uh, hey, how are you? I'm doing well. And hello, Alicia. Hi. Um, my question is, I have a friend. He's uh, I believe he was a Christian at one point. Um, and we were talking when I was at work, and uh, he described the Bible as myths, uh, fantasy, etc. He he says he's an intellectual Christian. No, sorry, an intellectual. He believes that there's a God, but he has no interest in knowing about him. I asked him if if Christianity were true, would he believe? And he said what's to believe there's no evidence and he said he's apathetic very apathetic but he's a very friendly uh young man he's a former veteran um i mean he has a lot of wisdom to offer but how do you how should i deal with that i know frank that you've mentioned on your podcast that apathetic people are really difficult to deal with and I'm sure, Alicia, you have uh, dealt with some apathetic people when it comes to uh, deconstruction, because he he literally just deconstructed in Christianity in front of me uh, when we were talking. All right, Alicia, what, how, would, how do you deal with apathy? That's it's a hard one. Yeah, it's hard. When you say he deconstructed Christianity in front of you, do you mean that he is a former Christian who deconstructed? Or what do you mean by that? I believe that he used to be a Christian, and like I said, he was a military veteran. So I'm, I'm thinking that he saw something, because he said that in his experience, Christians are more concerned about um, saving one soul than um, about the, than being concerned about the world around them, and that's what got me in because most people don't notice that, not even non-Christians notice that very well. You ought to read okay. C.S. Lewis on that, but go ahead, <laughs> Lisa. Um, that's what he says. He said he doesn't. He believes that there's a God, but that the God is so beyond time that we he has nothing to say to him, and anything to ask him, he that God does not have an answer for him that he would accept. Well, I mean, then I would just ask him, how did he come to the conclusion? That, I mean, that's a pretty specific view of God. So, how did what's the, what's his evidence for that? You know, I would just ask him to explain, especially if you say he's an intellectual who, you know, has, I mean, that's, that's a positive, like, that's a, a truth claim about objective reality as it pertains to God. That's saying that it's true in objective reality that there is a God who's out there and such and such. And just, I would ask him how he came to that conclusion. What, what evidence led him to believe that that's who God is and how he works? Okay. I, yeah. Yeah. He seems, he doesn't seem open, but he does seem on the edge of uh, negativity as well as um, interested in 
talking slash poking fun at it is what I'm saying there. Well, I think some people, you know, you have to kind of diagnose where the person's at. And I'll just be honest with you, from my perspective, there are some people where I'm just like, this isn't worth my time or energy right now. I mean, you can try, you can try a couple of times to have a conversation, but if all they're interested in doing is kind of mocking you and poking fun of you, I mean, it's just probably not worth it at that point. I would just maybe pray for them and just avoid the conversation because it's it's not gonna be fruitful until there's some kind of a change in their heart and mind. Apathy, like Frank said, is just very, it's very tough to deal with. If somebody doesn't care, then uh, I don't know how to make them care about these types of existential questions. You know, Jesus actually told his disciples, if they go into a town and they don't welcome you, then kick the dust off your feet and go to the next town, right? I mean, give people the time of day, but then when they keep rejecting you, you've got to move on to other other folks. Uh, you've got limited time to build the kingdom. And if they're not open at all, even if you ask them the question, if Christianity were true, you become a Christian, he goes, no, don't care. Don't, you know, okay, love them, pray for them, plant seeds, wait, you know, spend your time on other folks. Um, I mean, when I say love them, you're still, you're still in the guy's life, I assume, but yes. he's not, he's not interested. So if he's not interested, some, some event's going to probably have to occur for him to become interested. That's why C.S. Lewis famously said that God whispers in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain because pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So if he's ever going to be open, it's going to be probably through a, an incident of pain or suffering. Not that I'm wishing him bad on him. I'm just saying it happens to all of us at some point. Does it make sense, yes, it Josiah? Does. Yep, that's it. All right, thank you so much. Thanks, thank you for your call. Yes, thank you for your video call, actually. <laughs> um, let's, uh, I don't know if uh, uh, Angelique got anything into the chat or not. She did. Um, so I got the question it, here. What is it? Frank, Brad, I'm going to read it out. She says, what are the three reasons for deconstruction again, Elisa? Also, did she get? Uh, did you get those from a poll or was based on experience? Um, and he says, when I talk to people that have deconstructed, what I notice most is that they are plain biblically illiterate. It becomes very clear to me when I investigate their background a bit. They are not plugged into a local church and serving. They're usually not studying any sort of hermeneutics, uh, or they usually flirting with sin or living in rebellion. Are you finding the same things? More times than not, I find uh, uh, that this is the case. Yeah, I would say generally speaking, that's a fair characterization. I do think, though, as I said earlier, many people deconstruct um, with a lot of biblical knowledge. You know, you have seminary professors deconstructing, you know, people's faith when they go to a liberal seminary. So it's not always biblical illiteracy, but it, but again, yeah, the question, are they studying hermeneutics? Are they studying, you know, they're not, they're, they're changing their minds on all that stuff. So they're interpreting the Bible in radically different ways. And so the question that was asked earlier where Frank just said, what are a couple of reasons? So I just gave you a couple off the top of my head, but I'll give you six that are, this is from a deconstruction platform. And this is what I found to be true in my research as well. And this person is saying there's six pillars. The first pillar is the Bible. And basically that the Bible domino falls probably first. And then the second pillow is, or pillar is hell. So the, the doctrine of hell usually falls second. Um, penal substitutionary atonement is going to go after that. The problem of evil, suffering in the world, 
um, end times hype was a pillar uh, that I, I see in this, in this article as well. And I think that's pretty true. And then the church, um, the, the final pillar for this person is the church. So you're right. People are not deconstructing in churches. They're deconstructing uh, with online communities. They're not plugged into churches. So a lot of the deconstruction has probably already happened before they decide to leave a church. And again, it's not always going to be something they announce or they tell people about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that, actually you say comes from a deconstruction website there mm, Lisa? yes yes so uh, those are those are the things they're saying that the reason they're leaving notice that nothing in there there's nothing in there about uh sexual morality yet in the many deconstructions i've seen and i know you you and elisa are sorry you you and me elisa it's getting late here <laughs> You and me and Lisa have talked about this before. I've never seen a deconstruction where somebody didn't mention sexual morality yeah, as part I, of it. I, no. no, and so let me comment on that because, yeah, this again, this is in their words. This is what they say they're leaving. Mm -hmm. Now, this post was from 2019. A lot mm -hmm. has happened since 2019. Mm -hmm. And I would say that if an article like this were written now from a deconstruction perspective, it would be things like, uh, Republican Christians, the support of Trump, it would be uh, LGBTQ plus issues, it would be uh, definitely rejecting the Bible, it would be viewing uh, doctrines like original sin and hell and judgment and substitutionary atonement as abusive doctrines as that the church you know, created to control people. And uh, and, and so, yeah, I think, and, and church abuse and, or perceived abuse. See, that's a really tough one too, because there are legitimate experiences of church abuse, abuses of power. Um, and so that's why this conversation is hard because you could be talking to somebody who was legitimately abused, like maybe a, a young girl who was hit on by her youth pastor and it was just like this horrible thing. But then also people will claim they have been abused by simply being taught that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. So it requires a lot of untangling of some of these things. But uh, but yeah, Frank, I agree with you. Even if the person in the deconstruction story doesn't say, hey, I had a gay friend or I came, I came out as gay, it makes its way into the conversation. Even take the, the Rhett and Link deconstruction that really rattled a lot of Christians because he went through all of this intellectual stuff and he predicted the objections you were gonna have. And it was very, very smart. And yet you get to the end and it, she just kind of throws this comment in about how Christianity oppresses women and gay people. And you're like, and there it is, right? Mm -hmm. There's a presupposition. He didn't even have to argue for that because that was his view going into all the other stuff. And so that's kind of what I'm talking about when it's like looking for intellectual justification for a moral problem they have with Christianity or, uh, you know, just some sort of existential problem that they have with it. Yeah, few people want to admit that their objection to Christianity is a preference. Well, I just don't like uh, what Christianity stands for. They want to make it seem like they're rational. At least many do. We all do. We would all want to say, well, it's not just my opinion. We, I really think this is wrong or hurtful or um, toxic, as you say. It's, it's objectively that way. They don't want to just say, well, I just didn't like it. You know, they want they want to appear reasonable in their deconstruction, in other words. Yet we all know that reason isn't often the reason. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, I've been I, I've been doing this for many years now. And I know this sounds counterintuitive for an apologist to say that evidence might not be that important to people. But the truth is, it's not. Yeah. It's not that important to people. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And they yeah. kind of, there's this thing in the deconstruction world too, where it's like, they think evidence and apologetics is just 
a product of rationalism or modernism mm -hmm. that just is too focused on empiricism and, and things like that. So mm -hmm. there's that as well, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, how they know anything is through their senses. And yet, they're <laughs> saying when somebody like us is trying to say, hey, we've got this evidence and it's been, it's comes, it comes through our senses. Oh, you can't believe that. Well, wait. Yeah. On one hand, they want to say they're being, there are reasons to leave the faith. On the other hand, they want to say, don't use reasons. So again, it's just. Exactly. That, that is a very fair observation. Yes. All right. We got one more. Christina. She uh, is, Christina is about ready? to join. No, she's joining in. She just messaged me. So you can pick one more and then we get. Okay. Christina we'll take one more and then we'll take one more video call and we'll call it an evening. So uh, is there someone on the list there, Elisa, that you yeah. want to. I'm so glad that we got to get to this one because I think this is such an important question. This is from mm -hmm. this is from your Facebook. This is Dan. What's the difference between deconstructing deconstruction and questioning my faith? This is the question, Frank. Such a good question. I grew okay. up in church as a Christian, but had to find out why I believe if it's true at some point in my adult life, I'm still a Christian and have stronger faith after that process. Yes. So this is so good because a lot of people will call the process of questioning my faith or engaging my doubts or asking hard questions. They'll call that deconstruction. I, I wish Christians would not use the word deconstruction to describe a healthy process of man, I'm going to ask my questions. I'm going to own my faith. I'm going to take out everything and put it on the table. I'm going to take this thing apart to the studs and I'm going to, build a foundation and make sure that my theology is sound, that what I believe about reality is true. And uh, I think that's something every Christian should do. I think that's important. Uh, we shouldn't stuff down our doubts. We shouldn't avoid hard questions. But I, in the book that we just finished, that's not out yet, but hopefully will be coming out soon, we argue for the word reformation to describe the process you're describing, Dan, rather than deconstruction. D words tear down, deconstruction, that's a tear down word. We wanna do a, a biblical reformation. We wanna reform what we believe. If we have false beliefs, we wanna reject those beliefs. If we have doubts, we wanna engage those doubts and wrestle hard with all of that stuff that is commendable and good. Uh, but let's use a, a good word. Let's use a word like reformation or sanctification or discernment or something like that. But I think reformation is a good word to describe that and let's leave the deconstruction to how it's manifesting mostly online which is a very negative tearing down of historically christian beliefs yeah use your questions and your doubts to drive you to get answers and i i get i get the question from uh atheists sometimes actually sent a question it's a statement you know i used to be a christian but i lost my faith and what i want to say to them sometimes is so are you telling me because your psychology changed that somehow God has popped out of existence or because your psychology changed that Jesus actually didn't rise from the dead and all the evidence that says he did now suddenly vanishes because your psychology has changed? No, your psychology is not going to tell you what's true outside your skull. The evidence will. So concentrate on the evidence. I, I, here's a, an example I try and use all the time. You know, it's many people that cannot get on an airplane. They're scared to death. They think they're going to die if they get on an airplane. You know what the evidence shows? Exactly the opposite. You ought to be more afraid to get in your car than go on an airplane. But what you're doing is you're allowing your psychology to overpower the evidence when you when you fail to get on an airplane or you're afraid to get on an airplane. Don't let that be you when it comes to eternity. Don't let your psychology 
overpower the evidence that Christianity is indeed true because your psychology won't tell you the evidence will tell you. So follow the evidence where it leads. Okay. I think we've got Christina for our final video question. If I'm we, not mistaken, we Jorge. do Christina, can you unmute yourself? You're ready to join the show. There you go. Say something. Hi. Hey, you're working. All right. Hey, Christina, hey. how are you? Where are you? I'm good. I'm from Florida. Um, so I'm down in South Florida. <laughs> oh, great. Well, go ahead with your question for Lisa. Um, so I have a friend who um, has, she posts on Facebook that she um, has been deconstructing her face, which I didn't originally know that she just, every once in a while will post stuff that's, um, and it's, she's over in Texas. So I am, uh, I don't really see her a lot. It's just things that I see her um, post on Facebook. And so she'll paste, post things like, um, you know, God killed so many people in the Bible and, you know, just a bunch of bunch of stuff. And she um, at least used to be a Christian or claimed to be a Christian at one point. Um, I've had some conversations with her in comment sections before. Um, and, you know, just trying to piece together exactly what she believes. And I'm just trying to also gauge how much I should engage with her. Um, she, so she has that. Um, she, I think she just has a lot of beliefs about God in general, not being good, loving, um, what he claims to be in general. Um, I think what you said about it being um, like coming from hurt makes sense. But um, I think either I or somebody else in a the post um, talking about this said something about, you know, I'm so sorry you were hurt. And, sh and I, th I think I might have. But um, her response was, well, it, it wasn't her. It was just logic that brought her to that conclusion. Um, and she's posted things about, um, you know, why didn't God just um, like write it in the sky? What the truth is, why is it that, you know, it's written in this old book and we don't know if it's true or not. And, you know, there's all these other belief systems that could fool people and all this, this sort of thing. Um, uh, recently I was asking her a little bit about, um, I remember one thing I brought up is, you know, what is, where does morality come from? Because um, that's something she does seem to still have a moral compass. Um, I remember her posting about abortion and um, how uh, there was this particular argument. She's like, oh, this one almost got me. But um, she was explaining away how basically abortion is wrong. And whatever the argument was, I can't remember, um, was wrong. So she seems to still have a moral compass. I asked her about, you know, where does morality come from? And she said, you know, it could be anywhere there's a bunch of other, you know, explanations that could be just as true. Um, so Christina, is your question how to approach her? Is that? Yeah, okay. um, how to approach her, how to, um, how much should I engage with her? If, okay, you know, if Lisa, go ahead. Is this someone you know in real life? Yes. I would really recommend not doing this on social media. Mm -hmm. There are so many, psychological factors to social media. Now, I, I engage on social media once in a while. If if there if it's something that I think will benefit a large amount of people to hear that there's an opposing view on something, I might respond to something um, for clarity for other people. You're, you're 
not likely to change the mind of the original person who posted face-to-face -face is so much better. So my recommendation to you would be to maybe if you, if you sense that you really want to try and uh, you know, befriend her better and, and share the gospel with her and that that's something the Lord's leading you to do. What I would recommend you do is invite her out to lunch and just say, would you would you ever want to just talk about these things? Sometimes I'd just love to learn more about kind of what led you here and maybe see if she'll meet with you in person. And then when you meet, um, just ask, start asking questions like, you know, there's a lot of things that you've posted that, you know, I'm just kind of wondering where this is coming from. Like, maybe what was the first thing that you started to doubt about Christianity? And would you be open to talking about it? And just see what she says. And then I guarantee you, if you develop that relationship face to face, one on one, you might start to learn some of the the questions behind the questions, if you know what I mean, and, and maybe discover what's maybe some of those wounds are or some of that confusion might be. And um, I would just recommend it being a, just not on social media would probably be the best way to go about it. Yeah, I don't I don't really see her. So it's more of like, that's the only time that I would probably engage with her because she is she lives halfway across the country. So but that's what I was wondering is like, how much, would social you, media is harder? Yeah, would you would she be open to, to just doing a zoom with you or FaceTime with you one on one and just just to talk, I mean, it, cause I don't think it's probably gonna be that fruitful on social media. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think just like I said before, when, you, when you're in the comments, even when I, I don't do it a lot, but sometimes when I'll be in the comments with maybe somebody in the deconstruction space, it's just ugly. And no matter how nice I try to be or how kind or, and but yet you get face to face and it's like, oh wow, like I'm looking at a person's eyeballs right now. And it's like, it just, the whole thing changes. You have yeah, for, those, for those who don't believe in original sin or depravity, just look at the uh, Facebook or YouTube comments on any of these conversations. You know, people are just mean. And and they're they're not courteous. They're not polite. They're not listening. So I agree with Elisa that Christina, this is you got to do this in person. And if you can't do it in person, at least one on one via Zoom or a FaceTime call. Does that make sense? Yeah. And before you do, I think you probably want to read tactics and you also want to read this. <laughs> Live your truth and other lies. Yes. OK, I yes. don't know if you have this or not yet, but. I don't, um, but there's uh, I, look, a lot Christina, of things. I'm just yeah. kind of getting into this space now, so it's I have okay. a lot of reading to do. I don't know if you know this, but you can't be saved unless you read this book. Okay. <laughs> look, I don't make the rules. I don't make the rules. Okay. This is a good one, too. Okay. Tactics by Greg Kokel. Okay. So, um, and then go to elisachilders.com and uh, you can follow Elisa there. Also, there's, and thank you for your call, Christina. Um, uh, Lisa and Natasha have just started a brand new, um, a brand new uh, podcast called Unshaken. Lisa, tell us a little bit about that. Thank you, Christina. Yeah, it's called um, yeah. it's called the Unshaken Faith Podcast, mm -hmm. and uh, so Natasha and I both have, like you, Frank, we have individual podcasts that are longer, about an hour. We dig deep into these topics. Mm -hmm different experts on different topics. But uh, we started the Unshaken Faith podcast to just be little bite-sized pieces of cultural help for Christians. So it's weekly 15-minute episodes where we tackle something that's going on in culture that makes it hard for Christians to live your life faithfully. And so we just kind of break down some of the ideas and give some practical advice for Christians. So it's called the Unshaken Faith podcast. 
And for those of you that are really intent on improving your skills, you want to be a part of CIA, the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. We do it every year. This year, we're going to do it in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now, if you can't make Albuquerque, you can make your computer because we're teaching it online as well. And the four instructors that you will have, at least live, will be myself, Elisa, also Natasha Crane, and Jay Warner Wallace. So you just need to go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, you'll see it there. If you want to come to Albuquerque, you need to apply. It's in July this year. And uh, there it is right there. There are the instructors from Greg Kokel to Jay Warner Wallace, Richard Howe. Uh, we've got uh, myself, Elisa, Brett Kunkel, Natasha Crane. Uh, we also have, uh, I think, Alan Parr this year. That's a new one. And... Uh, and you, the, the, the graphic you're just seeing there is of the online course, uh, which included David Wood and uh, several other people. Bobby Conway, as you can see, you got some great instructors that will improve your apologetic and theological and philosophical skills. So check all that out. Elisa, any other closing thoughts on deconstruction you can leave with our audience? I think I would just say, let's be praying for each other. Let's, it's, it's very difficult, especially when you have close family that's going mm -hmm. through this. And I just want everyone to know that, you know, it's, I love that people care about this topic and are engaging with it and are doing their best to understand it. And we're rushing as best we can to get our deconstruction book out uh, to give you a good resource to help you understand what's happening with your loved ones. So. All right, friends, uh, check all the uh, check all those resources out from the books to the websites to the podcasts. It'll give you a lifeline uh, so you can deal uh, in the best way possible with the folks that you love who are walking away. So thanks for being here and we'll see you here uh, next time. Also, check out the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. See you next time. God bless.